0: Buddy, Daniel Ramsey here with My Outdesk and Scale the Podcast. Super excited. We have Dr. Lisa Sturdevant on the call today. She is the Chief Economist for Bright MLS. That's a real estate platform with over 100,000 subscribers. Because she's an economist and we're talking about rates, inflations, everything that's happening in the real estate mortgage, this is a fantastic conversation. And she gives you the three things that you should be tracking as a business owner in today's market. What are the three things that you have to track as a real estate professional?
1: Right, there is so much data out there, and it's. I will be honest with you. I think it's overwhelming. We have no shortage of real estate data. We, I think, we have a little bit of shortage of analysis sometimes, but we have no shortage of real estate data. So I think that there are there are really a small number of things to track, and the first is uh, inventory. I think that is really what is going to drive the market. And inventory right now is being driven by a pullback in buyers, not an increase in new listings. I would watch that new listings number, because I think it's going to start to move. And I think that's going to uh, shape the options that that buyers have. I think we need to watch rates, uh, obviously, mortgage rates. Um, if you wanted to be in the know and try and predict where mortgage rates are headed, pay attention to the yield on the 10-year treasury. As you probably know, they move very closely and that data are released every single day. So you can go and uh, uh, look at it every single day. Um, and then the other thing, of course, is prices. And I think we've been looking a lot at month-to-month price data. And I would I would watch prices month-to-month, but what I would look for is Are the month to month declines we're seeing this fall, are they different than what we would see in a typical uh, season? So paying more attention to seasonality since the last couple of years, we haven't had any seasonality in the market to try and understand if the trends we're seeing are really just a return to seasonality or whether it is indicative of some sort of bigger change in prices. So so month to month prices, um, rates and uh, inventory, particularly new listings are what I'm paying a lot of attention to.
0: What should real estate professionals be preparing for right now?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I do think that that 12 to 24 month period is actually the most interesting one. Like we're going to see over the next uh, three months here, you know, three, four months through the winter, we are going to see home prices fall from their peaks. Uh, part of it is seasonal. Home prices always come down a little bit during the winter compared to where we were in the summer. Um, but because of the pullback in buyer demand, because of those higher rates, you know, pr- prices are are going to come down from the peak, but let's be very clear. Even if prices fell 10%, we're still going to be 20, 30, 40% above where we were in 2019, even if we see a big uh, dive in the sort of 10% level coming down from where we were on peak. So going forward, I think it's really important to as we as we move through this period, which I think thinking of as more of a, a resetting. I think a lot of people are calling it a housing recession, but I really do think it's more of a resetting. And that when we get out 12, 24 months, we're back in a, a period where prices are probably rising at their long-term average rate, which is between three and 5% annually um, in a stable market.
0: Okay, so you think we're gonna take the wind out of the balloon, but eventually we're gonna be back to our normal trend lines.
1: Yeah, well, and and by normal um, pretty strong because of those demographic factors. Like, so right, we all know that millennials are the largest demographic cohort in the US, 72 million of them. Uh, they are between the ages of 26 and 41 right now. The median first time home age, 33, right smack in the middle. So for the next seven years, we have a large population of folks who are uh, in that prime first time homebuyer demographic. And there is a tremendous amount of pent up demand among this demographic cohort because their homeownership rates are lower than what, let's say, Gen Xers were at that age. And while there are challenges for sure in terms of affordability and higher rates, um, every survey that you read says millennials want to be homeowners and they are just waiting for the opportunity to do so. And they're going to be in our market, like I said, over the next over the next few years.
0: Well, what would you? you know, tell a real estate professional or a mortgage professional, I have a friend who owns a pretty large mortgage company and they've seen a 60% drop in volumes and real estate people are saying, you know, the consistent message is, you know, I'm not, I want to buy per your survey. They want to buy and they'd love to move or upgrade or downgrade or whatever it is, but they just feel like they're going to pause. That's the, that's the sentiment on the street. So I'm wondering how should a real estate professional like capitalize on -hmm. this moment where 99% of the conversations are maybe I should just hold on.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's the right thing is how to capitalize, right? How to be prepared. And I'll, and I'll give you a a few examples of how I see real estate professionals, frankly, being able to uh, demonstrate value in a way that they haven't. Uh, over the last few years, when the market's been moving so quickly. You know, we see in our data that while, um, you know, new uh, pending contracts are down, even showings are down, the number of people going and and touring houses, the buyer traffic, uh, we're actually seeing the number of views and clicks of homes is staying pretty steady. What that suggests to me is there are a whole bunch of buyers out there lurking, right? They're waiting, to your point, they're not sure about uh, the market, they know that rates are high, I would expect that if uh, rates take a dip one week, and they will, it'll be volatile over the next uh, few months. So if we see rates fall from 7% to 6.5%, let's say in a week, I think there's buyers out there ready to pounce. If I'm a real estate professional or a lender, I would be wanting to be ready for those folks um, to be able to take action very quickly and in fact maybe even uh, help them understand that if you do want to be able to move that quickly you're going to have to have a whole bunch of things lined up and ready to go in order to do so. Um, I think that in this market we have a, a more of a chance buyers have more of a chance to um, have a little bit more leverage in the transaction and so <laughs> making sure that uh, that buyers know what they can ask for in terms of appraisals, right? Or, uh, right. or uh, home inspections, for God's sakes. Those went out the window for, for two years. Uh, being a resource so that people know that you, it might still feel frantic because it is still competitive out there, but you have more leverage. And then the last thing I'll say is if, if you're a real estate professional working with a seller um, and your seller's like, look, I'm gonna pull my home. There's no buyers out there. Rates are 7%. Yeah. Say to them, And this is what we're seeing in our data, homes that are priced appropriately, not what your neighbor got last year, not what you wish you could get when you look at your Zestimate or whatever home valuation tool you look at. When homes are priced appropriately, they're still selling quickly. Median days on market still less than two weeks in any other market that is a fast market. So just being prepared to help re-educate in some ways buyers and sellers because market conditions are slowing, but there is still a lot of opportunity on both sides of the transaction.
0: Lisa, I wonder, you know, they talk about a normal market being six months of inventory. I'm curious, how close are we at a normal market on the national basis? And I know anybody who's listening, if you're in San Diego, it's different than Washington. Sure. I mean, it's just different, right? It's hyper local. But on a national basis, where are we? I'm curious, like home builders, new home permits. I'm curious, a buyer seller markets. And you mentioned interest rates, but, you know, just what, what on the macro level can we be talking about that would add value to the audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so this idea of, you know, it's, it's funny, uh, back when I was, uh, when, so the market was starting to slow in the spring and the summer, there were all these headlines that, oh my gosh, it is now a buyer's market. Yeah. We're very, very, very far away from a buyer's market. In fact, uh, you mentioned months of supply, which I think, um, can be a helpful metric of where a balanced market might be is between five and six months of supply nationally. We're at three. Okay. And then in a lot of local markets, as you suggest, it's even tighter. In many of our markets here in the Mid Atlantic, for example, we're still measuring months of supply in terms of weeks, three weeks of supply, right? And so we are very far away from even a balanced market. And part of it is because we're in this unusual environment where higher rates and economic uncertainty are not only causing buyers to pull back, but are causing sellers to pull back. So, unlike, let's say, 15 years ago during the Great Recession, the economic uncertainty is not causing a flood of new listings, a flood of inventory. Uh, rather, quite the opposite. It's causing everyone, as you said, to kind of to kind of sit back. So we're still pretty far away from where we might call a balanced or a healthy housing market, and I think we're actually going to be pretty far away from it for for several years.
0: You don't think we're you're not going to we're not going to see a a buyer's market, is what you're saying? You're I don't just, think we're so. just not. Why Why do you think that?
1: Well, uh, because well, there's a few reasons, right? In order to have um, a, a buyer's market, you need to have um, like a lot more inventory on the market, and so mm-hmm. I've tried. I've really, I've tried really hard because I do not want to be the person who claims that everything's fine and then the bottom falls yeah. out next month, right? So I thought right. very hard. Where could this hidden inventory be coming from, right? So I mean, we can spitball here, right? Some people say, well, uh, for a while we were thinking we were worried about foreclosures when the forbearance period ended. Not going to happen. And part of it is we see the media say, oh, foreclosures have doubled in the last year. Well, sure they have. They've doubled from zero. And anything above zero looks like a big increase. So uh, we're not going to see it from foreclosures. Homeowners have a tremendous amount of equity and are very well qualified for the loans they're sitting in now. So we got to get it from two other places, right? We got to get it from homeowners selling their home, or we got to get it from builders building homes. Right. And as you know, as well as anyone else, neither one of those things are uh, moving uh, in the positive direction uh, in any sort of measurable way, right? And so if you uh, take, for example, the fact that three quarters of homeowners with a mortgage now sit on a mortgage under 4%, uh, there is a tremendous rate lock situation going on that we haven't had in a a long time, if ever, where existing homeowners are going to sit tight. So the inventory is not going to expand from existing homeowners. At the same time, Builders are pulling back, as we've seen in the recent new construction data, because their costs are going through the roof. And so we're not seeing the run up in inventory from new construction. So no foreclosures, no new construction, no existing homeowners flooding the market. When supply stays low, even if demand stays stable, prices stay firm.
0: Yeah. What other trends are you seeing right now in the market that we should be talking about that are concerning or beneficial? Like, what are you seeing that we might touch on?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, I mentioned earlier that the market is, um, you know, much more complex than it even was last year, or the year before. I think I think it's really clear, right? Last year, the year before is crazy. Um, but now I think the word of the day is like complicated or nuanced. And I'll, I'll mention one, one thing in particular, you know, it, last year, if you were working with a, a buyer, let's say, uh, whether on the lending side or on the, the sales side, The only game in town was a 30 year fix, right? Because it was 2.7%. And you weren't getting money better than that anywhere. Now, uh, we know that the average 30 year fixed rate is around seven and the gap between a fixed and an adjustable rate mortgage is actually wider than it's been in years. Ah, so now we need to educate our consumers about what an adjustable rate mortgage is and it is not the adjustable rate mortgages of 2006, right? It is not the subprime. It is not not
0: a, a pick a pay, not a pick a it pay. Is, you
1: remember those? It, that's right. It, it's not a, uh, what is the, the no doc, no, no income qualification, yes. right? If folks who are qualifying for arms nowadays are just as well qualified as those applying for 30 year fixed rates. And they offer an opportunity for buyers, um, to come in at at a lower rate. I will give you a personal example if I can. Um, My husband and I are actually in the market now and we are selling a home. We are buying a home. And when we um, uh, met with a lender to get pre-approved, we were looking at options for seven and 10-year arms that were providing a rate that was substantially below where the 30-year fixed was. And not only that, and um, hopefully my lender friends are if they are listening, they won't be um, too upset about it. You know, we went to a couple different lenders because there was a lot of variability right. in terms and rates that lenders are offering now because yeah. the pool, right, the pool of, of, of applicants is so smaller. So I think that, you know, you talked about sort of this, these opportunities or these sort of ways that, that we need to sort of capitalize on this changing market. And I think that, Certainly, the lending industry has faced sort of borne the some of the brunt of this downturn for sure. With layoffs, for sure. And, as you know, and 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 now there's a lot uh, more um, uh, flexibility or variability across across lenders that consumers and their real estate professionals can help them, you know, not take advantage of. That sounds that sounds wrong, but like become educated about.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's interesting is I um, I was passing a new home development the other day and they said you can still get a 4% here in this new home. And so I see a lot of um, new home builders and real estate professionals employing a buy-down where the seller Uh may credit 20 or $30,000 to buy your rate down from six and a half down to four and a half or from seven to to four and something, three quarters. So I think that's a a great um, process to know that you can actually negotiate to your point the situation that you need to have in order to, to make a transaction. We were talking, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, no. It's just, you mentioned new construction. I think I hadn't, I had, I had seen that occasionally and I didn't know how widespread it was. So it's interesting that you brought that up about builders buying down, um, you know, uh, points for, for folks, because they, uh, I think that when we look at the, the transactions, the new home sales are down far more than existing homes. The builders are really have been hit, have been hammered by by this, uh, this
0: slowdown. Well, I was even in a, I mean, another personal story. I was in a real mm-hmm. estate transaction, a commercial one where the seller, the lender said, no more second mortgage. We're out of this, this market. Really? And the seller said, I'll carry. So I think yeah. there's a lot of things that are happening right now in this market that are, you know, feel unusual. Cause it's been, you know, yeah. 20 years since we've been playing with them. Um, yeah,
1: right. Right. I mean, I'm sure you've uh, heard the phrase assumable mortgages come up more and more. Like, are those going to be? And we uh, here in the Washington area, we have a lot of VA loans in our market. And so there's actually a lot of real estate folks who are uh, learning about uh, assumable mortgages under the VA loan program, because that provides an opportunity. I know for only one slice of the market, but that is, um, you know, very attractive right now.
0: Um, Yeah. and USDA loans are out there with zero down payment required. And you're like, okay, well maybe I'll pay six and a half and not put anything down if I qualify. And so it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting time. Uh, We were talking off camera and I think that's a pretty interesting conversation. If I'm in real estate or mortgage right now uh, the focus needs to be on transactions that are going to definitely happen. Can you talk a little bit about that, Lisa? Like what transactions are required to happen in this kind of I don't know, nuanced market is what you called it, That's right? A
1: good, nuanced, complicated. Yeah. Um, look, I think that I think we've had it's been um what's the word like when you're on a roller coaster, like whiplash, right? We've been yeah, we've, we've been whiplash the last three years. And so let's say a couple of years ago, there was a lot of let's call it discretionary home buying happening, right? So you're yeah. you see rates where they are. Uh, you're working from home, your spouse is working from home, your kids are home, you're, you're sick of looking at each other, right? And by the way, the government just sent you a $1,500 check, and you haven't eaten out in three months. So your savings account looks really good. So let's buy a a bigger home, or we saw a lot, let's buy a second home, right? And that kind of discretionary home buying is really, you know, gone at this point. Um, And but it was always, Always just part of the market anyway, and there are uh, there and so and some people I think have might think well how is how are buyers and sellers how are people still buying homes at this point if we've seen rates rise faster than they've risen in history, um, and the fact of the matter is there's a lot of reasons why people still uh, buy and sell homes whether they have uh, a job change where they have to move whether they have a life a lifestyle change where they. Have a child, or have a, a school district that they need to move into or out of, um, where they need to move to be near aging parents, uh, where they need to uh, move because of a divorce or a marriage. There are all sorts of reasons. Life has life continues to chug on here post pandemic, and there will always be reasons why people um, will people will move and buy a home.
0: Yeah, I I a long time ago in my real estate world, I created the twelve Ds, which is like. Uh-huh death, divorce, drugs, disability. (laughs) And I just like listed all of the reasons somebody wants to sell a house and then coined them damage. I mean, it's something like, you know, uh, silly reasons, but um, I think it's important.
1: Yeah. And like I said, there's like so much froth, right. That gets a lot of conversation and it's really important, like I said, but there is a lot that goes on underneath the froth that keeps the market moving and those are those those 12 d's you just mentioned or the i'm gonna i'm gonna coin my own daniel i'm gonna coin, yeah there coin you out. go sure we'll, do else, <laughs> we'll do it together together. it is this underlying stuff where um you know whether you like it or not you know mom and dad need help now and you need to be closer to them that you know that's not going to wait for a four percent mortgage that's going to happen now because it has to um and and there's still a lot of that if transaction in the, in the market
0: Yep. So the jobs market absorbed, and I'm, I got to talk jobs because you're an economist. Yep. Um, the jobs market just absorbed, you know, 60, 70% of all mortgage people that got laid off. Um, a lot of title, a lot of insurance companies that were connected to the real estate transactional mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, we're seeing home builders. Um, for the first time, I, I'm, I'm doing a backyard reno right now. And the the contractor said for the first time all of his subs were calling him and asking him if he needed any help really? and really? he's like in the last you know decade i had to call them and beg to get on their schedule and now the roles are reversed and it's interesting so the job market so far has absorbed all of these i would call punches like they're like gut punches and you know ribs and all that mm-hmm. but i'm curious what's your perspective and is there like a right cross to the face that's about to come in 2023
1: yeah. So I think the short answer is no, but but um, but it uh, but just to back up just a bit, I think um, it is typical in recessions. So let's set aside the great recession because that was uh,
0: atypical. It was weird. Atypical.
1: Right. Even in typical recessions though, the housing market tends to lead us in and then tends to lead us out. And what I mean by that is we often see job losses in the housing industry first, and that's what we're seeing now, right? We'll see losses in the mortgage market. We'll see losses uh, in title and insurance. Um, we're tracking on our ends, you know, whether folks are leaving the real estate profession, giving up that real estate license, and and uh, yep. because we know people move in and out of that that industry a lot. Um, on the in the general economy, though, we still even now have two job openings for every one person looking for a job. So. I am going to try and extend your boxing analogy. You would need like some sort of Muhammad Ali, like big, huge right hook. Let me not go down the, um, you would need something really dramatic to happen to make the pendulum swing where, Job openings contract really significantly, and I think it's happening. We are starting to see contraction in in some um, companies who are uh, who had been hiring and now they decided not to because of economic uncertainty. And um, I expect that we will start to see the unemployment rate rise from where it is, which is historically low, um, and that it is likely that probably in the first quarter we'll we'll physically be in a recession in terms of uh, negative GDP growth. But um, but it's going to feel different and it's going to feel different for different people, sort of like the pandemic hit different segments of the population differently. Like the home buying population sailed through, frankly, economically much better than the renter population. And I think we're going to see that sort of kind of dichotomy in, in this economic uh, recession here in the next year as well.
0: What's interesting is I'm like, I'm thinking through like, what could be the the thing that caused the job market to go crazy. I'm like like another 20% drop in, in the SP, you know, some sort of stock shock, um, Powell going and raising interest rates instead of three quarters, a full percent, you know, so yeah. they you know, midterm elections coming up, you know, like I, all the reasons, you know, uh, you could have the UK, um, what's her name, Tess, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. decide to, to do something silly with taxes and, yeah, yeah. and give money more money away. And so I'm yeah. just thinking there's a lot of opportunities a war could spread. Europe yeah. could have more, we could have more energy insecurity in the marketplace. Yeah. So uh, speak to all those exterior yeah, yeah. risks.
1: Oh, it's exhausting to think about all those things, isn't it? To think Yeah. <laughs> um of the ones you mentioned, I do think that the 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 um the conflict in Ukraine and the broader sort of um uh geopolitical conflict over energy is the biggest risk to to um our economy overall. Um I, so I, I, and Frank, look, look, nobody uh, predicted a global pandemic, you know, three years ago either, so uh, that is not to say that that things wouldn't happen, but I do think that instability internationally seems like the biggest, the biggest risk here. So far, we've been, right, the strongest economy, like when you look across, right, and uh, but that's an unsustainable position. We need all countries participating in this um, in this global economy to keep it working. Um, let me see if I can add anything else to the like the risk factor. I do think that um, if uh, if this, if if Wall Street if the stock market starts to uh, mistrust Powell, like if Powell ever he's trying to be very transparent, right, with everything. I think that's I think that's pretty clear. Last year when they were talking about transitory inflation, they got in a lot of trouble because people are like, what are you talking about? That's a
0: word I didn't even know existed. Right? Like, transitory inflation? inflation? What exactly is that? I had to Google it because I'm like, what does that mean?
1: What does that mean? And then they said it so much. And then it's kind of like, um I tell my seven-year-old, like if you complain, it's like the boy who cried wolf. If you tell me one time that you're hurt, I'll come check. But if you come and tell me the second, third, fourth time, you're just trying to get me, get me to come out there or whatever. Like the... Um, at some point, the uh, investors will stop uh, having confidence that Powell is being straight, and so I think there is. I, I don't. I think it's if he telegraphs and says, "Look, we're going for a point increase uh, this time. We're going for 100 basis points." I don't know. I think that as long as investors uh, feel confident that it's making a difference, I think that that the stock market will uh, handle that type of rate increase. The problem is going to be next month. If we get inflation numbers and we're still above 8%, I think that's when things are going to start to get real, right? People are going to be like, look, we have been with you, Fed. We have, we're have we ready to take a little pain now to avoid pain later, but the pain we're taking now does not appear to be mitigating the pain working.
0: later. Right? It's not working because right. guess what? Our government needs to participate. That's the bottom line. And I right. think if they, the more they spend to try to reduce you know, inflation, the more we're going to get this kind of weird scenario where we're not seeing impacts and reducing inflation. Okay, so let's bring this all home. Uh, Best advice for real estate professionals, mortgage professionals, people who are home builders, developers in this market, what do you think their next best steps are?
1: Um, Yeah, well, okay, that's pretty, that's pretty broad question. And now look, I'm a researcher, I'm a data person. So my answer is going to be probably around that. But I do think more than ever, uh, paying attention to local market conditions and being a resource for your buyers and sellers on what's going on very locally, helping to shield them from some, not shield them in like a, we don't want you to know kind of way, but, but helping them to understand that the national headlines uh, are not necessarily what's most relevant to an individual decision maker. in let's say San Francisco or Dubuque right. or Orlando. Right. And so um, being on the ground, talking to as many people as possible, educating yourselves. And I think that one thing I've been so impressed by working with realtors and lenders is that they are constantly learning and wanting to uh, increase their professionalism and take on, you know, become educated. And if, if, if there wasn't time for that over the last couple of years, now more than ever, you need to double down on on that type of um, professional development because uh, the buyers and sellers in the market are gonna need you now more than they more than they have in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. All right, Lisa, it's been amazing talking to you. Yes, You've so added too. a lot of value to the audience and I wanna just thank you for your time and uh, all the information you shared today.